to the open side. Karim Bete. Lovely here for Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Bete. Back to Simon. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. Even when it is incredibly hard to get up and be positive, we are here for you. I'm Ando. Mitch, how are you, mate? Very good. Uh, went out to the Wallabies game in Parramatta last night, so still kind of recovering from that, I think. And yep. I, just overall, this weekend hasn't been a great results weekend-wide for Australian <laughs> rugby, unfortunately. Yeah, we're under-20s fans this weekend, under-20s fans. Um, But either way, tonight we're going to go through all of the challenging topics of this weekend's rugby action. So we've got the Wallabies versus Argentina, obviously, followed up by Wallaroos versus Canada, the Junior Wallabies versus Wales, and the Locker Room. And the Locker Room went off this week. So we are very excited to get involved and respond to your questions and comments. Now, lastly, before we get going... We always have two simple calls to action. Firstly, join our Discord channel to be a part of the best Australian rugby community going around. The link is on any of our social media platforms. And lastly, consider going to ko-fi.com slash pickanddriverugby and supporting us with a one-off or monthly payment. One thing I will say is that during the game, because I wasn't able to get out to the match uh, last night because babysitter fell through, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of us were on the Discord match thread, um, kind of live chatting throughout the game. And it was great, great to be a part of that community and chatting through and sharing things in live moments. So if you can't get out to the games, like you don't live in Melbourne, so you can't get out to the MCG in two weeks time, then jump onto Discord and join us for the live, uh, live chat throughout the game. Anyway, Mitch, that's it. Should we jump into things? Let's go. All right, we need to tear the Band-Aid off and talk about the Wallabies' defeat to Argentina, Los Pumas, last night at Parramatta Stadium, 31-34. to Mitch, you were there. How bad did it feel at the end of the game? It was a... It's always disappointing when you lose a game, particularly in that fashion, when it's really tight. Mm. Uh, yep. But I think the hardest part of it all was that there was a lot of... And you could tell from sort of the players' expressions and... Uh, the way that they were acting, that there was a lot of confusion from the players, particularly around what had happened after the final whistle. Uh, so I don't know if it was as easy to, to see on the, the coverage at home it's on stand, but as soon as the Pumas scored that final try, six or seven of the Wallabies were just flocking the referees and the touch judges and sort of saying, there's a knock-on in the lead-up, we've held it up, are mm-hmm. we going to check, are we going to check? And we, we couldn't, as fans, couldn't hear the response from the referees or the TMOs uh, in the stadium. So we didn't really know what was happening. We were just hoping that they were reviewing it and that there was going to be looking at something. <laughs> but then even when the referee yep. kind of said, no, it's all good, try stands, blew the whistle full time, Nick White on the sidelines, kind of like he did in, in Melbourne last year, sort of was sort of looking, staring down the referee. Jordan Willessey as well kind of was looking at, uh, went straight off the field and didn't even shake hands and was sort of having a bit of a sulk on the sideline, throwing things, so... Yeah, pretty uh, disappointing for the Wallabies' perspective. Ah, but even just yeah, as a fan, yeah. the fact that one once Marky Mark had scored that try, we were you kind of like I think we've done it. We've we've done enough here. 
and then to get back in. Like the excitement that came in from me just on the couch with a mate of mine, just as as he said, and said, well, come on, wheeling him home <laughs> the whole way and only to have it kind of ripped out from under our feet right in a dying moment. So you've talked through kind of some of the atmosphere and the like, but how did you feel? How did you feel at the end of the game? It's like, it's that feeling that as Sydney-based Wallaby fans, and even Waratahs fans to a degree that we've become so familiar with over the years of we <laughs> were in this and we somehow found a way to lose. Now, all yeah. credit to Argentina and Los Pumos. They probably were the better team on the night and did deserve to win it. Uh, I think if we had ended up winning the game, I probably would have been like thinking we got away with that a little bit. But again, the Wallabies, I saw a stat on Twitter that this was the last 12 games the Wallabies have played in Sydney. They've won one of them, and that was in 2015, uh, 2019 when they played Samoa before the World Cup. Every other game we've lost. Mm. It's so hard as a, as a Wallabies fan yeah. to continue to turn up and, and see those performances put in. It's it's really challenging, isn't it? Because this Argentina team did not play particularly well on Saturday night. Um, they they weren't bad, but I actually think it was the errors of the Wallabies that enabled them to be in a position to win the game. So a couple of really simple examples of that is not being able to gather the restarts after we've taken points down their end. Um, the the Pumas were very obviously not kicking to our tall timber out wide into the forward lifting pods. Um, they were avoiding Skelton earlier within the game. They were avoiding Arnold and Phillip and the like. And they kept kicking it right down the middle of the pitch. And we struggled on three or four occasions to retain possession in those times. And it was frustrating because we didn't adjust to it. I'm not expecting us to move the forward pods into the middle because then I'll just kick it out wide. But why not put Nwangani Tawase in the middle? Why not have him as someone who was just on fire with his aerial contests um, and let him be the one contesting those rather than having someone like Carter Gordon having to go up for it when he is not going to be as strength if he is compared to Nwangani Tawase. So there was just some frustrating moments throughout the game where yet again, discipline or making the right decisions at the right times or, or being able to affect the right plays just escaped the Wallabies again and again. And it was just frustrating for me to be watching that at home. Um, to, am, I, am, I, am I reading the game right? It almost felt like we did one thing right and two things wrong. And that's something that the Wallabies yeah. have been doing for the last year or so. It, it's a trend now. If it's not some silly penalty through ill discipline that they're giving away. They're just knocking the ball on or just not not uh, honouring possession as much as they should be. And we score great tries. We score that try to Nwangani Tuasi, the, the intercept. We score that try to uh, Samu Karevi from the break from Quade mm -hmm. Cooper. Like when we have the ball in hand, when we make those breaks, we look deadly. But the fact is we score a try and we either turn it over on the kickoff or we turn it over by some silly penalty, and we just leave the pressure on the opposition. We just aren't able to apply scoreboard pressure. And it's unfortunately becoming a trend for the Wallabies in this last year or so, regardless of who's coach, Rennie, Eddie Jones, that when we're not uh, we're not we're not leading games, we're chasing. We're always behind the the scoreboard and we're sort of trying to get back in games. We're not ahead and we're not the first person the first team. If yep. we are the first team to score, we let them score two times afterwards. Or immediately, yeah, we just immediately let the team back into the game. And that's one of the frustrating things that I just want to see the team correct. 
And it was one of the, I guess, one of the issues within this match, because it started so well. Like that try to Lenny Kitao right at the beginning of the game was just brilliant. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, excellent, excellent work with the ball just spreading it wide, choosing the right players at the right moments, um, cutting it out wide, passing it back. Like it was just really nice play from the Wallabies. And then almost immediately off the kickoff, we give the ball back and give Argentina the opportunity. And after a what was it, 25 minutes is 10 all when really we deserve to be up and and to not have let Argentina get in that place. But first half, possession and territory stats were something like 30 to 70 against us. Um, mm-hmm. And it just showed how often the errors that we were making in terms of our handling and decision-making were gifting Argentina the opportunity to put on pressure, which then converted into penalties against us because we're having to absorb so much pressure, gifting territory, gifting time in our 22, and eventually Argentina were good enough to go in. So it's just frustrating because you're right again. And again, it's almost like the Wallabies mantra. Um, There was this this post that I put up on um, Twitter uh, during the Australia A match. And it was a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing because you know how we always hear about like playing rugby the Australian way and always that idea of like (laughs) playing rugby the Australian way. Yeah, running rugby. Well, I've decided that playing rugby the Australian way is um, losing possession regularly, gifting the opposition field possession and not executing on point scoring opportunities. And we saw that with the Wallabies. We saw it with Aussie. We saw it with the Wallabies last week as well. It just seems that we, we, we don't have a way of playing rugby. We have a way of losing games of rugby at the moment and we don't actually know how to win. Is that harsh? I it, don't know. It does. It does somewhat feel like we've lost that kind of mojo that we had well, definitely like 15, 20 years ago when we were competitive, winning World Cups and winning Bledisloes. And ever since, we just haven't been able to consistently stay in games and apply pressure. Uh, the frustrating thing this week, as opposed to last week, last week, the issue was uh, keeping possession. Like we kicked away so much possession. We didn't have enough territory mm-hmm. with ball in hand in the opposition 22. And the spring box out muscled us in nearly every aspect of the game. This week, I thought we were better with ball in hand. We didn't kick it away as much. The The stats, like you said in the first half, definitely didn't favor us. And what was it, 30% possession or something you said? But it didn't feel as bad as it did at mm. halftime last week. It didn't feel like we hadn't taken our shot. We had run a fair bit more with ball in hand than we had the previous week. Our backs had a little bit more room to move than we saw last week. But again, the, the discipline, the ill-discipline, and if it wasn't just the fact that it wasn't giving away penalties and, and pressure at the ruck that we saw last week when South Africa were putting us into those situations of not rolling away, getting pinged at the breakdown, those types of technical penalties. This week, it was silly, stupid penalties that we definitely didn't yep. need to give away. That push by Valentini that got sort of, they started the scuffle, we retaliated in such oh, a bad way, they turned it around. <laughs> the the hit on yep. uh uh, Pablo Matera from Quade Cooper, which ends up giving them the the line out, which they score the winning try from. It's yep. frustrating as Wallabies fans because you can't say that the, our players didn't do the wrong thing. They did. They were playing ill-disciplined rugby in those regards. The frustration for me as a fan sitting in the stands, first of all, we didn't have the TMO or the referee mic'd up. So we actually didn't know what was going on. We're just watching mm. the referee talking to the touchies and, looking at the screen and all of a sudden makes a decision and kind of scratching our head going, what what happened there? But the second thing was it felt like the TMO was interjecting in so much, 
buying into what yep. the Argentinians were doing, yep. rolling around off the ball, looking at every single thing. When I went back and watched the replay, there was two or three hits that the Wallabies copped off the ball that we didn't roll around and sook, yet didn't get reviewed. Yep. Mate, I'm going to jump in there because I am... I've, I've been away in America for a couple of weeks and we had a really big contingent of Argentinians with us in this program that I was I was with and doing. And um, a few of the boys that were a part of that Argentinian crew were big time rugby players. One of them was actually the godson of um, Mario Ledesma. Wow. And so they were like of rich, rich Argentinian rugby stock. And so we were Absolutely. chatting rugby the whole time. It was great. That's awesome. And um they were they were passionate. They loved their sport. Um, in some of the competitions that we were doing, they were getting into it, but playing it in the right spirit, competitive, but doing it the right way. The Argentinian team, national rugby team, is one of the most frustrating teams to watch, in my opinion, as a non-Argentinian person, because they have almost everything you want in a team to support. They have passion in spades. They are physical and aggressive. They have speed and skill within their back line and um, a forward pack that's able to support that skill set of the backs. But, but they spend so much of their time rolling around after contact of milking any and every opportunity that they have. It is honestly just... Uh, it, I see those moments Comical. and it makes me just so frustrated that they resort to that, that there's this level of acting and there's this level of trying to manipulate the judge, the um, the team, the refereeing Referees team to team make yeah. a decision. Yeah, to make a decision when most other teams in the world, not always, but mostly most other teams, will just get up and get on with it. And God, I just wish they would change that. But that being said, that being said, they deserve the win last night without a shadow of a doubt to stop the bloody acting. That's all I want. To all of the fans listening that aren't Australian fa rugby fans right now all around the world, thank you, first of all, for listening. Uh, but we don't <laughs> condone that kind of attitude at all. Nick White did get away with one in South Af against South Africa last year. <laughs> so if people are going to say that we're calling the kettle black a little bit, yep. I will say that, yes, Nick White probably did dive a little bit there and, and got yeah. after clerk that yellow card. But at the same time, frustrating, like you said. It, it it didn't feel like it was in the spirit of the game. Those hits, yes, mm. warranted. They were legitimate. Like he did, Pablo Matera did get hit high by Quade Cooper around the head. And it would have would it have been reviewed if he didn't do this dive of clutching his throat and sort of looking for blood Mate, and falling over any... and all of that? Any back rower, particularly someone who's played number eight for your country, the captain, who's been at the Crusaders and been a star, to cop a swinging arm from a fly half and to then have to roll around on the ground, he's losing his forward man cards, I reckon. He, he's not allowed back into the sheds until he's done something to pay back and earn his stripes again. Seriously. That's, Hopefully no, he wouldn't be invited like, back to Argent uh, to New Zealand at all. I mean, that's not that's definitely not a crusader <laughs> way of playing rugby. But back to the point that you made around their passion and the uh, mm. yeah how passionate they were. You could definitely tell throughout the game. Every time they got a turnover or we knocked it on, there were so many times where you could see the Argentinian players, Pablo Matera particularly, was just screaming. Yeah, he was fired up. Like he was so yeah. fired up, and that's one of the things when you're going against a team like Argentina that you need to be mindful of you can't allow them to get emotional you can't allow them to build up that type of yep. pressure i guess against you the frustrated or the 
uh, I guess as an Australian fan, yeah, frustration in a little bit, but the South Africa, uh, the Argentinian supporter bay was down the end where they were scoring their tries in the second half and they were oh, so really? loud. They were brilliant. Yeah. Like they add a whole different atmosphere to the game. You could, there was three and a half bays in the whole stadium of South, of Argentinian fans and they out cheered every Australian in that fan tenfold. They were making noise the yep. whole way through the game. And you could definitely tell that that was lifting the players on the field, particularly in that second yeah. half when they when the Wallabies started to get flustered, started to, to drop ball and things. They screamed louder, they sang louder, and the players themselves were getting louder. As an Australian mm. rugby fan, I'm sitting there going, why aren't we doing this as supporters? This is what we need to do now. The game's on the line. Marky Mark has just scored an awesome try. That was the only time really in the whole game that we made noise for the Wallabies. Apart yeah. from that, we could just sit there yeah. and clap politely. We've spoken about it before. It's so frustrating. We need to get behind the team. We need to make them feel like they're playing at home. We play New Zealand in, in Sydney anywhere, and there's that many Kiwi fans supporting them that it's like an away game. You play Argentina, there's that many loud, vocal South Americans supporting their team, and they're 20% of the stands. Yet you wouldn't know that from watching it or being in the stadium. There's just no atmosphere. And I'm very keen for the future episode we do, which is how to fix the live experience for Australian rugby fans. That's definitely something we need to do a deep dive into. But why don't we shift now to um, stocks rising, stocks falling, players within the Wallabies 23 who, um, who, who performed well or maybe not to the standards they would be wanting. So we've got him on the screen. We can't go any further without just hyping him up. Mark Nawanganitawase has just earned himself many games in the 14 jersey for the Wallabies. He had he was clearly the best player on the pitch for the Wallabies. He was excellent. Uh, any quick comment on Marky Mark? Oh, definitely the player of the match uh, from the Wallabies, particularly. He's booked himself a spot yep. on the plane to France in this in this yeah, the week. Definitely. This bef- this performance this week. He was involved in everything. Everything good that the Wallabies did, he touched the ball at least once in that. So whether it was taking that quick tap, which set up the first try, getting that intercept try, which brought us back in, in the lead for the first time in the game, like he was outstanding and he's mm. just getting better and better, which is fantastic to see. And one of the things I really liked as well was his ability to regather uh, off kick restarts too. Um, so we haven't had someone that's had that consistent ability since Izzy Falau, uh stopped playing for the Wallabies. So seeing mm. Nwangani Tawase get, I think it was at least three, definitely two, maybe three or more, um, uh, ter- not turnovers, but regathers off those restarts was just absolutely yeah, brilliant. Okay. Yep. I'll also say Carter Gordon as well, slotting into an unfamiliar 12 position after Lenny Kittau's significant scap- broken scapula, six to eight week return time. Please get better mm-hmm. soon, uh, Len. We need you. But uh, Carter Gordon did not do himself any any wrongs in that position, considering he's a straight number 10. And I don't think he's played 12 much. He might have played outside Matty Tumur once or twice at the Rebels. Mm. Uh, last season. Although I think they but... preferred to put Hodge there in the centres. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but either way, I thought Carter Gordon was excellent. Defensively, he is hitting so much harder than his weight class should be letting him do. Yeah, it was fantastic to see the impact that he brought off the bench. And as you said, he came on to a position that he's relatively inexperienced in. But being at the game and seeing him and his work rate off the ball, I don't know if this came mm. across on the coverage as much, but he would put himself in to tackle the biggest 
uh, Argentinian forwards running at him, do a fantastic dominant tackle, take them to ground, pop up and be ready in the line. And then he's directing the players around him as well. So if he's only yep. 22, I think. Um, he's a very young and relatively inexperienced player, but he's coming in with confidence. He's putting mm. in defensive efforts. He's putting in attacking efforts. He's just having an all-round great impact on the Wallabies at the moment. And it's kind of the impact that we want from the other players coming off the bench to lift the standard yep. of the game and have that impact that we're not necessarily seeing from everyone. Will Skelton, impact in spades this week. He was dominant in the malls. He was driving the scrum forward. Got lifted a few times in a line out as yeah. well. He had his best performance, I think, for the Wallabies to date. So he was he was excellent last night for the 55 minutes that he was on. The amount of pressure that's kind of been put on him, I think, in the last week, The a lot of talk in the media around how good he's been in Europe and, and how ineffectual in a sense he was last week against South Africa he's definitely turned that around and he was making dominant hits he was making dominant carries with ball in hand he was a monster everywhere around the field so the more of that we see and the more that we're able to utilize that as a Wallabies team uh the better because at the moment I still think he's having good impact but we're not utilizing him as much as we need to uh, remember the Waratahs in 2014 the amount of line breaking runs and tries that he set up purely from like himself we're not seeing that yet yep. in the international arena so there's still a lot more to see from him but it's uh it's baby steps at the moment and any positive is exactly. good positive exactly and we'll take it won't we um cu- couple of other quick points i'll say for positives i thought matt phillip was energetic off the bench with his return from injury angus bell showed in his 15 to 20 minute cameo glimpses of what we know he's been capable of pre-injury so he was immense in that 15 to 20 minutes that he was on um stocks falling or perhaps didn't shine as brightly as we would be hoping. I'm going to say Fraser McWright and Jed Holloway probably didn't play at the levels I'd be hoping them to. Um, I, you know, you know, that initial break, I think it might've been Carreras that made the initial break um, Mm -hmm. for Argentina in like the second minute of the game, kind of hot stepped in and around Lenikatao. That was because Jed Holloway had rushed up too fast and created a kind of kink in the line. So Len was, having to cover that um i also yeah. thought mcwright he wasn't bad i just i'd hoped for more from a player who was the form player of super rugby uh, pacific for the aussies um and has been widely touted by everyone north of the border for being the replacement for hooper i just wanted more and he wasn't bad but he also wasn't he wasn't out he wasn't too impressive in my mind thoughts yep yeah, I guess the two things, I guess uh, I'll, I'll start off with a reason as to why I don't think those guys were as effective as we were hoping for. First of all, Jed Holloway's played lock for the Waratahs all season. So this is his yes. first game at international level at lock. And he hasn't played there since he was playing for the Wallabies last time. So it's a it's a change and it's a, a shift in position. They're not that dissimilar. Like it's not like going from number eight to number 12 or something, but I still think that that doesn't, allow itself as easy to transition as we kind of expect or hope for. Uh, the other, with um, Fraser McWright, yes, again, he is young and he's coming through and we can't expect him to come and have the impact of Hooper. We saw it last season when he got the few minutes off the bench, maybe it was the year before, I think it was the year before now, when he got his debut and against the um, the All Blacks in Sydney, he was defensively out of position a number of times and he just didn't have the impact that we had mm. saw in Super Rugby. It's a big step up for a young player like that to come in and expect to perform 
as dominantly as Michael Hooper, it probably would have been, in retrospect, a better decision to play a player like Pete Samu at number seven and bring Fraser off the bench, if you can. I know he doesn't have that versatility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if Michael Hooper isn't right next week, moving forward to the All Blacks, I would prefer to see Pete Samu in that position as opposed to Fraser McRae at the moment. Think of the size of our back line as well, of our back row as well. If you had Pete Samu there instead of Fraser McRae, just in terms of height and a bit more physicality as well, that would that would be pretty impressive. Um, in terms of backline players, well, we, who there's stars a player we didn't... have to talk about. There's a player we can't get any further oh, without yep, talking. Yep. Tom Wright. Oh yeah, we're Tom going to the back Wright line. Going to the back line now. Yeah, yeah. I just, okay. We need to say. So, it. say your what, piece. What mate. a shocker! Say your piece. What a shocker! What? Unfortunately. Okay. You thought he was good. You you. I don't think he was as bad as people have been making him out to be, but I'm very happy to hear your perspective on why you thought he was a shocker. He started that scuffle, which ended up getting uh, the penalty reversed with Valentini coming in and, and pushing the player. He was the one that started that. That's sure. unnecessary. Yeah. Yep. He dropped the ball from a pretty easy regather, which then gave Argentina possession in our 22, which they ended up scoring off. So at this mm-hmm. level, you need to be better. Yes, he had a few positive involvements in terms of ball in hand, but he wasn't making line breaks. He wasn't uh, as efficient under the high ball as a player like Falau. So at the moment, I think the the benefits that he's bringing to the 15 jersey are currently being outweighed by the silly errors he's giving away. And, and at the moment, we need sure. a player, particularly in that 15 jersey, who's going to be solid, who's going to have positive involvement, who's not going to egg into those silly scuffles and give away unnecessary penalties when we've got players on the field who do that as well. Uh, and I think it's time <laughs> okay. for Andrew Kellaway to get a run. Well, he's he's been injured. He's still returning. Yeah. So that's why we haven't had Tom right there. Um, I'll, I'll just quickly say my piece and then we'll move on because we just have different perspectives. That's fine. Um, I thought Tom Wright was guilty of all those things that you've charged him with, without a doubt. Um, but from a positive perspective, he was involved in a lot of the good attacking backline plays that the Wallabies executed. So when Nwangani Sawase takes that quick tap, who's the player that's on his shoulder for the pop pass to continue that drive through? It's Tom Wright, who's immediately there, provides a quick recycle before they shove it out wide and we score the try from it. Um, he was also involved in a few of the other backline plays that resulted in tries too. So like... Without a doubt, he has those moments of madness, yes. Uh, but there are also some moments of very good play within there too. I do think we're just waiting for Kellaway to get fit again before Kellaway swats, swats into 15. Um, I just yeah. think it's one of those things of like the Tom Banks effect where you either love him or you hate him. I feel like a lot of people have that thing with Wright. Um, it's either you think he's good or you think he should never have put on a rugby jersey ever to begin with. (laughs) So anyway, I also wanted to just point out a couple of other players. Um, Quade Cooper probably didn't have a a, a good game by his own standards. There could be a reasonable argument for Carter Gordon starting at 10 um, in in the next match. Against the All Blacks? Against the All Blacks. Are you kidding? That's the problem. No, I'm depending upon the... Opposition, depending upon the opposition, yeah. right? If we were playing someone not the yeah. All Blacks, I'd be pretty yeah. keen to put Carter Gordon in. Um, I'm just simply saying in the last two games, Gordon's form and performances, mm. somewhat limited comparatively, have been better than Cooper's. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Yep, easy. All right. And anybody else you want to say? Yeah, Cooper's involvement this mm. week was better than last week. He's getting better. I think the game plan is starting to 
gel around him and we're starting to use him more effectively. Uh, we, we do have to realize he kicked all of his points. He didn't miss any kicks yeah. at goal, which is helpful. Yep. Um, he also set up one or two tries and, and actually no, it was Crevy that finished that one off, but he set that one up as well. So I think he is getting better. He's been all out of the game for so long. He is going to take a few weeks to kind of gel at this level. As you rightly highlighted before, though, what we do moving forward against the All Blacks, that's a mountain at the moment that looks really hard to overcome. And yeah, Carter Gordon has been good, but is he going to be the person that's going to come in and be ready to face Mawanga, Barrett, McKenzie? Uh, Not at the moment. Yep. Yep. All fair comments. Well, why don't we finish with... A, a pretty simple question. Was this loss as bad as the post-match reactions seem to indicate? In my opinion, no. But what's your perspective on it? Look, this was a, a game where we should have won. We're playing at home. Uh, no disrespect to Argentina, but they've been the team that most... They've been the team in the rugby champs that most teams kind of expect to be able to to win against. And they're getting better and they are a good team and they deserve to win this week. They put us under a lot of pressure and they, yeah, we're, we're a team under transition at the moment. We needed to win though for the narrative of the sport in Australia, building up to the World Cup. Eddie Jones has come in. All of the narrative around that, we're expecting a good performance from the Wallabies. And at the moment, they're not presenting that and they're not looking dominant. They're not looking effective and yeah, we just, we need to be better, I think. And a lot of people who are on the fence and that's been the sort of the commentary on social media since since the game finished, that the people that have been the casual fans or on the fence are seeing Eddie Jones in the media and his sort of debate with the NRL and, and all that and, and sort of think, okay, maybe there is something different happening with the Wallabies. They tune in and they see us get beaten last week. They get get beaten at home this week. And a lot of people are saying, I've I've done my time. I'm I'm giving up on the sport, which is really disappointing. Yeah, look, I don't really have much to add to that. You are completely right. And why don't we at this point? I have move one into. Well, I've got one thing oh, for one you before we move off this game. Yep, and that is around the yep. press conference. Have you had a chance to to hear Eddie Jones's comments in the press conference? Yep, yep. I've I've watched the whole thing. So, what did you want to touch on? So he makes a comment about halfway through the press conference, and he goes, "This team is building." We're not where we need to be, and that is frustrating. So at least as a Wallabies fan, it is good to see that he is not delusional in a sense of where we're currently at. But he says it's only going to take, and this is this is what happens in games, he says, or with teams, one or two positive things, whether it's an early try, whether it's a, a line break for things to click and the team to kind of jump to the next level and to, to sort of shift them into the next gear. Now, what he then goes on to say is we've got two weeks before the All Blacks. That's plenty of time. This team is capable of turning things around. If I were the All Blacks, I would be worried. <laughs> what, what, what was your reaction uh, when you heard that? I, I laughed. I actually laughed because I just thought it's just typical cocky Eddie just, just putting out this sound grab. He, he's not delusional. So much of what he was saying in post-match press conference and, and in the post-match interviews with the stand presenters, he was he was considered, he was reflective, and he was realistic about the team's performance, where they were at, and what needs to be improving. Uh, without a doubt, he's he's got all of his cogs turning the right ways. That comment, I think, was just him 
playing games and just having a bit of fun with the media. I don't think it was anything serious to be taking, but that's that's how how I read it. How did how did you take it? I, I laughed. I I thought really like when we watched the two performances that the Wallabies have put in the last few weeks, we're not definitely not where we need to be, and we'll probably get into it when we get into the locker room because I think some questions have come in that sort of mimic this, yeah. but. I'm getting real Waratahs vibes so far this season. Darren Coleman coming in and and talking up the Waratahs performance leading into this season. We've got a new season. We've got a new team, a new stadium. We're going to come in. We're going to beat the Brumbies. And they lose that first game. And the confidence is down. And they don't really get back into the season until the second half. Uh, Eddie Jones comes in as well as coach. We're going to win the rugby champs. Yep. No, you. sorry. I cut in. You keep going, mate. I cut in. He's come in. And he says, we're going to win the rugby chance. We're going to win the World Cup. We're going to do all this stuff. And we're zero from two. So, you know, what's what's where do we sit on that as fans? We're expecting the world. We're getting nothing at the moment. It, it's hard to know. He definitely, some of the comments that he has said in this press conference are definitely true. And it is rewarding as a Wallabies fan to sit here and listen to him and say, look, there are, we know what we're doing wrong. We know what we need to fix to be good. We're not that far away. Mm. And as a Wallabies fan, sorry, it's <laughs> it's good to listen and hear that because after a loss like that, you think, "Geez, doom and gloom. What what's next? We're just we're not we're going to get kicked out. We're not even going to make it out of the pool at the moment in the World Cup in a few weeks." Mm. And so Eddie comes in and he says these things, and it lights that fire again. It makes you hope. It makes you think, "Yes, actually, maybe he does have a way out of this. Maybe we do have a path forward." And it keeps that fire burning, which I guess is all we can say moving forward for the Wallabies at the moment. <laughs> well, um, why don't we finish there? Because I know that there are going to be more conversations in a locker room that kind of speak to Eddie Jones and the rest of um, the team. Like we mentioned before, Len Ikatow has suffered a fractured scapula. So there's an estimated six to eight week recovery time uh, for him. So get better soon, Len. We cannot wait for you to get back into the Wallabies setup. But... The next match that we wanted to talk about very briefly was Australia A versus Tonga. This was this was one of the most frustrating matches that I've watched in a long time. I watched the full first half um, live and then had some family stuff I had to do, so I didn't catch the second half until later. But 24-0 down at the end of the first half, we sucked. Tonga were playing really, really well. We were gifting opportunities giving the ball away, hardly able to keep hold of possession. And we were just really, really bad. Mm. Am I, am I yeah, being I've too I've watched harsh? the highlights of this game. I was at work when it was on live, so I wasn't able to to watch it live. And I've seen little bits and pieces from the, the full match, but I, I've definitely caught the highlights. And what is concerning coming out of this game? First of all, let's talk, let's talk about the positives. And the positives are mm. Tonga looked fantastic. They're going to be yep. a force. Well, maybe not a force, but they're going to be competitive in this World Cup. I think they've they've How got good what's is growing. Charles Pietau. Oh yeah. my god! Charles Pietau, so Israel Falau, William Havili. Like these guys are having great impacts into a Tonga team, which in the past few years has struggled at this level. The fact that they were able to get mm-hmm. the win this week is huge for for us uh, for them against Australia. So it's awesome to see that this shift in world rugby laws is actually having the desired effect in the Pacific nations and that we're getting these players who aren't making the, the first, you know, the top tier uh, international teams and are able to come back and play for their second homes. 
uh, really good for them to see that. The, the downside of this game is that there were so many fringe Wallabies players or borderline World Cup squad players who did not do themselves any favor in this game. Bernard Foley, mm-hmm. Jake Gordon, um, to a degree. I, I won't say Taniela Tupo because it was at least good to see him back on the field. I think he scrummaged well, but he didn't have as much of an impact around the field as we probably were expecting, particularly against yep. a team like Tonga. It's concerning that these players weren't, the other players weren't able to fire in a game like this. James O'Connor's another one. Simple mistakes. Again, relieving pressure off the opposition, not able to be dominant when they really needed to step up and put in a performance and say, Eddie Jones, I'm actually ready for this next level. Give me a shot. Mm. Yep, completely agreed on all fronts. I think um, for me, the players that were most disappointing within this match were probably, uh, I would say, Bernard Foley as the the main player that I thought has really done himself a disservice for Wallaby's aspirations during this game. He um, he w- was guilty of doing some basic errors in terms of kicks not finding touch or going out on the full off kickoffs and the like. Um, his general play wasn't particularly You're just good not even either. kicking th- the kickoff and getting the, t- the whole team in front of you and then kicking oh, again? Like, what, oh, what is that? Oh, That's under 12. Oh, so. seriously. Um. I thought Jock Campbell was remarkably pedestrian in this game as well. Um, I I didn't think he was particularly good. I will say I actually thought Jake Gordon in the first half uh, was one of the few players that at the very least was working his ass off and had uh, was doing everything he could in a losing team to try and, and up the ante and get energy and the like going. Um, still made a few mistakes and the like, but uh, the the time where he was chasing back for a try and it there was a wicked bounce um, and Jock Campbell and Lockie Anderson yeah. and somebody else were just standing They're around. Jake Gordon was the only one trying to watching and run and get there. Yeah, like Jake yeah. Gordon was the only one putting in effort. Now, I'm not saying effort is everything, but it, it, it shows the mindset that he's at least trying to bust his gut to to do it for the team. Um, you're right, Tupo, Tupo around the park was obviously coming back from injury. I thought Brad Wilkin was very strong. Lockie Swinton mm-hmm. gave away his traditional brain fart and basically lost us a chance to win the game. Like I need, the we need half. to talk about Lockie Swinton, okay? Now, that yeah. this is the one thing that's come out of this game for me is Lockie Swinton around the park and his involvement in the game is probably the six that Australian rugby needs at the moment. He's physical. He's good with ball in hand and he's mobile. He can get up off the ground a lot quicker than I think Jed Holloway can and, and sort of get back into the line. The problem is that he keeps giving away match-defining penalties, high tackles, yep. cards, red cards. He's just a liability to any team that he plays in. We lost this game realistically because of that stupid decision that he made where he started that scuffle with yep. Sam Blousey and got the penalty overturned. Now, mm-hmm. as good of a player as mm-hmm. he has the capability of being, you can't pick him any level above yep. Super Rugby. You can't even pick him at Super Rugby at the moment because we've seen what he did for the Waratahs this year. It's so frustrating because when he's at his best, I think he is has the ability to be one of the best six options in Australian rugby at the moment, but he's just such a liability and a hothead that you can't pick him. Do you Completely think agree. moving forward he's... He's like, unless he has a drastic off season and fixes these transgressions, do you think that his international career or even his super rugby career is at jeopardy if he keeps up playing this way? Uh, I 
think his time at the Waratahs will continue to be minimal if he continues this type of um, these types of on-field indiscretions. I think he'll probably sign somewhere overseas and go to like a French Division Two club where they just love that type of stuff, and he'll get. Well, they just fight for yeah, just beat people up. Yeah, they fight for fun. They'll give him bonuses um, for having fights. The starting fights. <laughs> Uh, a couple of players who were immense in the second half. I thought Harry Wilson was a massive point of difference within the second half when he came on. He was excellent and is somebody who really, really put his hand up particularly well. I also thought um, Sam Talakai was strong in the scrums when he came on, seemed to correct a few of the issues up front as well. And got to say, my boy Ned, I was pretty happy with his involvements too. Um, Isaac finds Leliwasa, like people were talking him up over Jake Gordon. And I think it's just the same thing of comparing scrum halves with different forward packs and, and the game being played differently in the different halves. So you can't compare the team that Gordon was playing behind in, to what finds Leliwasa was playing behind. They're not, they're not the same. Um, anyway, anyway, anything else you wanted to say about this game? How good was it seeing people literally at the top of palm trees watching this game outside the stadium? Yeah, the, the Pacific Islands are, are just rugby fanatics and it was awesome to see. Uh, Lockie was over there and was able to beat the game and some of the things that he sort of told us off air sounds incredible. Looking forward to catching up and getting a full kind of ear of, of what happened, but he was saying that just mm-hmm. the the people over there are fantastic and the impact that they had. Uh, Falau Fengaa, Taniela Tupo, um, Sam Talakai, all of these guys with Samoan and Tongan heritage were just at home and idolized by everyone. So that would have been fantastic to kind of see firsthand. I, I thought, uh, and I, I dropped out for a second there, so I think you mentioned it, but I didn't hear how much you went into it. I thought Isaac Fiennes, Liuasa looked good off the bench. And I think he did have a better impact than Jake Gordon. I know I did hear the the second half of what you were saying around the pack that he was playing behind. But at the moment, I don't think Jake Gordon has done himself any favours in the the pecking order of Australian scrum halves. And I mm. feel like he is that fourth choice. Nick White, Ryan Lonergan, or Tate McDermott, they're neck and neck. And then J- uh, Jake Gordon. So without an injury, I don't think he's done himself any favours of getting a chance to go to France later in the year. All right. Well, why don't we move on from this game? Because there's still a few other things that we do need to talk about and shift now to the Wallaroos versus Canada. They went down 7-45. to 45. This was, in all honesty, it was a beatdown. It was the last of their Pacific uh, four matches. But the excellent news is that they finished third which means that they qualify for the World 15-1 competition. So they are in a top-tier competition for the new World Rugby World 15 competition, which means they're going to be up against the likes of uh, New Zealand, England, Canada. Um, the, the best teams in women's rugby, the Wallaroos, are going to be playing on a regular basis, which is absolutely fantastic. Now, this result, watch the full game, uh, it, was, it was disappointing. And it was incredibly disappointing because of the strong performance against the US last week. Um, it, this was basically off the back of Canadian forward dominance. Their, their scrum was pushing us backwards. We really struggled to contain their players in their kind of forward pods and get any dominance in our tackles. Uh, the the Wallaroos women were brave but unfortunately just weren't able to muscle up in the way that was needed against one of the best teams in women's rugby. Uh, any any comments or thoughts about this match, mate? It was a little bit of a, a reality check, I think, for where we currently sit against the the top 
teams in world rugby at the moment. We came out of that game last week and we were quite confident. We said how good the Wallaroos looked and that they punished the USA and um, how the impact of particularly the European-based players really lifted and took the Wallaroos to a new level. This week, I think, was a very um, a humbling lesson for the team to kind of show where we need to improve and where we're currently at. And I don't think it's going to give us – well, it'll give us um, a lot to work on before we play New Zealand in a few weeks and particularly go into that first level of the World 15. Uh, and we have the, – the good thing is we have time to make those adjustments and we'll learn so much from this loss that we'll be able to improve. The, the disappointing thing was this probably was the strongest side that we could have named um, with the players available and we were still yep. well and truly beat in most areas of the game. So unfortunate yep. that we weren't able to score more points than seven uh, and the game definitely got away from us towards the end when I think we scored that first try in like the 15th minute and then from then on didn't really look like getting up into their 22 and scoring points again. Yep. Uh, I will just say within there a massive shout out to um, the Canadian player Tyson Bukaboom, uh, the number four. It was her 60th cap for um, Canada and she got a hat trick on her 60th cap. So congratulations. That was a very, very impressive performance. Uh, overall, and how good though, was their captain? How good was their captain, the number eight? Yeah. Um, de, well, do you have the list in front of you? De, de Gracie, I think it was? Uh, or? De, de Good. De good, That's it. Yeah, Sophie she was Goode. awesome. She scored two tries mm -hmm. herself, and um, she was converting them as well. Uh, it's the last yeah, I can't remember player. the last time I saw a number eight taking shots. So Harry Wilson, I think, has got a bit of a boot on him as well. So maybe Eddie Jones can take a lesson from the Canadian women's team. How good. Well, um, either way, it a disappointing end to what had been a, a very hopeful lead into this match. But at the same time, I think this also shows, and I am going to harp on about this again, uh, the difference between a team where the Walrus, some of them have only just been offered semi-professional or professional contracts versus a Canadian team who've had a professionalism within their game for a much longer period of time. And so it's going to take yep. some time for the opportunities that many of our women now have to uh, to bear fruit within the greater time they have to dedicate to their rugby. So either way, yep. onwards and upwards from here, still have our full support. Go you Wallaroos and very keen for the next match. Uh, Anything else you want to add before we get into the under-20s? No, let's just quickly get over this because I've just had a look at the time and we are dragging on and I know the locker room has a lot of comments <laughs> in there to get through as well. It does. It does. So uh, the Wallabies, Junior Wallabies under-20s finished fifth. They won their fifth place playoff against Wales in what was a very entertaining match, finishing 57-33. to 33. Honestly, go back and watch as many games from the under-20s championship as you possibly can. It's incredibly entertaining. They're at the point of their like physical development where some of the hookers and locks are as fast as the back as as the backline players. And so you get these amazing breakout tries just from players that in the kind of full men and women's game would just never happen. But either yeah. way, an excellent performance here. You had Henry O'Donnell crossover, if not for a hat trick, for a couple of dominant tries early within the game. Mm -hmm. Jack Bowen and Teddy Wilson orchestrating things incredibly well. Um, Darby Lancaster was 
lightning quick, a step above so many other players on the pitch in terms of pace and his ability to uh, change direction at speed. Really excellent performance from many players across the park. Any quick comments on this, mate, before we move on? Yeah, I'm just really looking forward to seeing how these these young guys progress in the next few years. We've got so much coming forward mm. for Australian rugby over the next 10 years. And we know Darby Lancaster's already in the sevens program, but there's probably a few other names in this 23 that will make that transition into the sevens program and and, and have good impacts. Uh, we already know that um, Ben O'Donnell and, and Teddy Wilson are in the Waratahs setup. I think and Jack Bowen um, as well. Yep. Jack Bowen as well, yep, in the Waratahs setup. Teddy Wilson's already got a few minutes for the Waratahs this season. I'm really keen to see his progression continue next year. And um, hopefully we manage that kind of the minutes of Jake Gordon a little better than we did this season and give mm. Teddy Wilson a bit more opportunity because he has been outstanding as a leader and as a scrum half in this tournament. And he's he's shown that he's capable at this level and I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes. And th- those names that I've mentioned, we're definitely going to see these guys feature heavily in Australian rugby in yep. the next 10 years. Mate, what I want to see is some uh, good preseason matches for the Waratahs where Teddy Wilson's the, the starting nine giving Jake Gordon a bit of time to um, rest more at the start of the season and then work his way in rather than him having to play 70 or 80 minutes every single week. So either way, we've managed to turn it into the Waratahs chat, which is what it should always be. But I think now it is time, if I am not mistaken, to be jumping into the locker room. Brilliant. So I sent out some questions earlier on within a day. <laughs> They're a little bit tongue in cheek. Uh, is it too late to bring Dave Rennie back? Does anyone really believe we can win the Rugby World Cup? And unfortunately, I did quote an incorrect statistic here um, based upon what Mitch had passed on from the stadium because they, they displayed a crowd figure of 15,600 and so um, incorrectly at the stadium. So I'd, I'd only heard that. But either way, the responses that we've received from a lot of people have been So excellent. how many people so were Mitch, there, Nando? I'm, I'm uh, really not there sure. Were 20 I've, I've only gone through this thread so. that we posted and seen it mentioned maybe 10 times of how many people actually <laughs> attended the game. So how many people actually attended? Was it 15,000? Uh, uh, 25, 26,000. So it's in that ballpark. Um, and I can't be bothered <laughs> scrolling through to find the exact number. But it's, it's, it's actually a decent crowd. Uh, for the stadium size, although I think when you compare it to the fact that, 26. say, yeah, yeah, for, for the stadiums 10 to 15 years ago, we would have been selling out 60,000, 70,000 in Sydney for a Wallabies game. So, yeah, for the stadium size, um, it's not bad. But in terms of the place of the Wallabies in the uh, the domestics or yeah, the Australian sporting scene, it's definitely showing where we're at currently in 2023. But let's move on. Yeah. Let's get to the first couple of questions. Um, and I might read them out and get well, your takes on them. For do you want me to read two. them out? How does do that you want me to take over? You've done a lot of driving so far. I'm happy to. Yeah, let's go, mate. My voice is, my voice is gone, so over to you. Have a, have a rest. All right. Adam Fletcher has asked, was parachuting the team into the under 10s and under 11 state champs? the ideal preparation on game day or a ploy just to get people to the game that night? Was this part of the Eddie's meticulous planning? Maybe should be there today as winners. What are your thoughts on that? Do you understand what oh, he's mate, asking? I th- yeah, yeah. I, I actually yeah. think it's a great idea. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a ploy to get people to the game. Um, I, I think that if we had lost, you could have pointed to anything about the preparation and questioned it. And this is this is a good example of that. Um, I think that 
because it's such a late start to the game, them doing something meaningful with the day to take their mind off the the physical encounter they're going to be having later that night, they were at the stadium early enough to get into the zone. Like I, I don't think this is an issue, and it gets a whole bunch of under ten and eleven boys to boys and girls maybe to see the yep. Wallabies. So I, I think that's great. I, I the only thing I would say is I don't think it actually was the team that was playing. I think it was the extended squad. So um, Michael okay. Hooper. Uh, Andrew Kellaway, Jordan Bataya, Nick Frost, those players were there, not necessarily the players that were actually playing. And the mm-hmm. under, under 11s, 10s, whatever it was, the state champs was actually being played at the home of Parramatta at Eric Tweeddale Stadium. So it's not far from Combank Stadium either. So I think it is a good idea to see those players out and about in the community, even if it's not just a, a ploy to get players, uh, get people to attend the game later that night. It's we need to make the Wallabies, particularly the ones that aren't playing in the 23, accessible, visible, dominant in the community and get these people interacting mm. with the community, which yep. I think is a good thing. So no issues on my end. Shane Wright, battle hardened Wallabies will be better in World Cup. South Africa and New Zealand are good teams. Your combinations and discipline will improve, still on for a semi-final. Thanks, Shane. I like that. Yeah, yeah that's that's really positive. And, and I love that. Um, I think that... The nature of the loss has got many of us down and uh, there's there's kind of more to talk about with that in a bit, but I do think our combinations will improve. We're getting closer to our best 23, closer with people returning from injury. I hope discipline's going to bloody improve and I do think we're still on for a semi-final because we have a really lucky draw. Um, whereas if, if we can actually perform it, then, then we could eat pretty easy, not easily, but we it's not as hard a run as it could be. Did you catch the press, the Argentinian press conference with Checker at all? Nah, I try to ignore um, most. No, that's of fine. But that um, the the media, the Sydney-based media, asked Checker after the game, um, "What? How do you think the Wallabies are going to go in the World Cup?" And or something along the lines of like, "How how is it for you to sit back and watch this performance as a former Wallabies coach?" Da 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 da. And um, I thought, first of all, that was a pretty hard question to ask because I wouldn't. I would say, out of everyone in world rugby, other than Eddie Jones, Checker bleeds green and gold more than anyone. You can tell that it, he doesn't enjoy beating the Wallabies, uh, but he did say that he thinks the Wallabies will win their pool, and that's a really yep. confident thing to, for him to say. And and as Wallabies fans, it's good to see that Checker is still backing us, even when he does manage to beat us on the night. Um, Let's go to the next question. Jed asks, I thought the basics in defense were there and the physicality was much better. Main issue was, was silly mistakes and penalties in crucial moments and execution. I've often been guilty of jumping the gun. Is this something that just needs time? Yeah, the problem is we don't have time. There's four games left until the World Cup kicks off for us. And There's with three. injuries, uh, is it only three? I thought it was. Anyway. Two against the um, All Blacks and then France. Oh, God. Okay. Well, we are in a bit of struggle street because we've got players that are going to be coming back from injury still. We've got players that are underdone as a result of their returns from injury. I don't think we have as much uh, time as we need to correct things like this because the Wallabies for the last like three years have been guilty of silly mistakes and penalties in crucial moments. So how's Eddie going to fix this in three games? Um, I, I don't know. So I hope... He has an answer for it. Um, he's probably one of the people that I probably do trust more to have an answer for something like that because of his experience across a really wide range of contexts and situations. But it's going to be a real challenge for him, and I think we're running out of time. 
Uh, Fitzy asks, given the narrow pathways we have for decades that are failing, where schools basically hold everyone to ransom, how does anyone expect anything to change? See my pinned tweet. Now, we, I, I haven't seen that, unfortunately. I, I've but, seen uh, it. I, I took a look okay, at good, it. Okay, yep. good. Um, basically, for, for this, I don't expect anything to change with the current setup that we have within Australian rugby at this point in time. Um, we need to broaden our participation base. And a really interesting way of um, looking into this, if you can get the under 20s team guide for the under 20s championship and you have a look at the schools that the players come from they almost all come from sydney based or queensland based private schools that's it Mm. um and that just narrows down the opportunities to a really select demographic which is shrinking rapidly And it's a really, really challenging scenario for Australian rugby to kind of expand its footprint and to get more participation, greater audience numbers, greater... uh, It's just really, really tough. So do I expect... How do I... Do I expect anything to change right here, right now? No, because we need more money to be able to change that. I'm also not confident that RA has a vision to make that change. Um, I think when you have a chairman and a CEO both coming from the same North Shore private school that many of the players come from, I don't think you're going to have a broad enough perspective for that change to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Well, well spoken. Moving on, Nick Sharp has sent two questions in. How do we fix our perception with the referees? Both teams are infringing, but we seem to get pinged a lot more. I'm not talking about the the off-the-ball stuff, but the work in and around the breakdown. Do we need to not complete compete at the breakdown unless it's a guaranteed turnover also are we allowing their players to roll away too easily quite it's sort of i'll keep going because it's sort of it's the same question essentially quite a few penalties against us for not rolling but other players appear to be pinned in whereas when we're attacking they seem to be rolling into our nines channel and slowing our ball down yeah look that was one of the things quaid cooper got done what twice for not rolling away um during the match and it happened to a bunch of other players as well there was one time where um oh who's the lock that i hate for argentina who almost always gives away like yellow and red cards um um um, um, um. no crema anyway on yeah no he's on him uh, it'll come back to me later. Um, but there was at one point where the Argentinian player could easily have played the ball back, but the Wallabies player was kind of on the wrong side of the ruck. And then once a penalty had been given, the player on the ground with the ball just easily passed it back. But he'd just been holding it in there, knowing the Wallabies yep. player was there. And as soon as he saw the penalty, he handed the ball back. And so part of it is gamesmanship. Part of it is um, the smarts from our players uh, trying to take advantage of opportunities like that. We need to be better at those areas. Um, and part of it, I think, is just, unfortunately, we have that perception or that bias now where people have a preconceived notion of the Wallabies, a, pe- a team that give away lots of penalties. And it's going to be hard for that to change. It's going to be hard yeah. to change. So I think it just needs to be a case of dominant tackles, Um, getting over the opposition, trying to assert ourselves on the game because a lot of the time the ruck penalties are coming when we're under significant amounts of pressure and that's kind of expected. You can't, that's that's not a surprise that that's happening. So we need to be better about controlling the elements of the game where we can and take away that perception opportunity from the referee. Yeah, and it is frustrating as a Wallabies fan. Going back and watching the, the replay, I noticed a few times where 
there was one in particular where we had the ball and Nick White is standing there with his hands on the ball. He hadn't picked it up yet, but he's about to pass it. And Argentina counter rucks and takes Nick White out right in front of the referee. And you're not allowed to attack the halfback. Like, yes, he came through the ruck, but you can't take the halfback out. And then one of our players has to kind of jump on top out of the way. And he ends up, I think he calls a knock on or he calls a penalty or something. But it's like, we were, our nine was taking out right in front of you. Why are you not giving us an advantage there? And then the same thing happens to Argentina and he, he gives a penalty to us. So it is that frustration around the referees and how we manage that. And that we have created a perception of being an ill-disciplined team and we're giving away penalties at the breakdown. So when they see something wrong like that, they just immediately play the advantage. Whereas when it's happening against us, it's not necessarily getting the same results. Uh, Michael Tomlinson, mm-hmm. there is no structure to our play. We don't contest our kicks. We don't even chase them. As soon as we have front football, we kick it away and we don't defend well enough to do that. Thoughts? Yeah, look, that's that's a hard one. I think we were guilty of that more so within our first game against South Africa. I don't think we were as bad uh, last night, particularly with our kick chase. Um, We were a lot better with a kick chase last night. It was something I paid attention to because we sucked at it in the previous week. Um, So, yeah, look, it's, it's that old thing of being forced to kick rather than choosing to kick. So kicking when you're on the front foot means that you have an opportunity to make sure you, uh, your chases are there, your defensive line is set, and you actually get some quality distance on it, maybe find grass and have time for your players to come up. Um, but when you're under pressure and you're having to kick on the back foot, then, yeah, it, it's going to be poor. So it's it's a tough one. I can understand that perception. Again, we just need to get more dominance with ball in hand to be able to enable us to be kicking more effectively. And a player that frustrated me and I really dislike is Thomas Lavanini. There we go. I remember his name. <laughs> he found it. Well done. All right, moving forward. Tom and Tomato Lemons on uh, on Twitter. Lennick is out for six to eight weeks with fractured scapula. Who was our replacement 13? Is our best back three, Marky Mark, Marika and Kellaway? Who is our replacement front row? Crazy thought, but how about this? Nick White, 9, Quake Cooper, 10, Crevy, 12, Carter Gordon, 13. We know he can distribute the kick. He buried Matera last night, so can tackle. Only question is, can he learn to defend there? Otherwise, Gordon, 12, Crevy, 13. Yeah, look, some interesting comments there. Um, My replacement, 13, is probably Parisi or Hodge. Who would you be saying is your replacement, 13? Uh, Parisi at the moment. Uh, I, I wouldn't be yep. going with Hodge. We saw last week that Hodge was pretty found out quite a lot against South Africa. And I think the All Blacks are going to do basically the same thing, just run through his channel all yep. night. Um, yep. Parisi or even bringing in, um, who's the other, uh, Fiketti, say um, from the Waratahs as well as a center. That's an option. Center maybe. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, is our best three Marky Mark, Marie, and Callaway? Yeah, I think at this point it. I think at this point it is. Uh, Noangan Isawase performed brilliantly last night. Marika is as Marika is, and Callaway I think is probably the safest and most versatile back three player that we have, um, and can feel kind of play that utility back um, position that we would that we do need. Replacement front row. I think when Tupo gets a bit fitter, it's going to be Tupo. Bell, and then choose one of the 30 million hookers that we've tried in the last 10 years. Um, I'd probably not be going Ulysses. I'd probably want to see something from Matty Faisler, but maybe it's too late to see something from Matt Faisler at this point of the year prior to the Rugby World Cup. Uh, So I can see why they're sticking with Ulysses. 
My only concern with Kellaway at fullback now is that he has been injured for so long that he's gonna he he might take a little while to get the rust out, blow out the cobwebs. So ideally, mm. I would have him playing Australia A or some other club rugby or something just to get match fit ready before we parachute him straight into the starting fifteen. But we don't really have an alternative, which is frustrating. Yep. Um, for uh, me, in terms of and the... Abel. Sorry, we didn't answer the final question there, mate. I'll jump in. Um, Carter Gordon playing at 13. No way, Jose, in my mind. Um, You don't take a young player who's had a good season for the Rebels and good performances at 10 for the Wallabies and then shift him out to 13. So if you are going to have him in the same starting lineup as Quade Cooper, then you probably go Carter Gordon at 12 and then Karevi at 13. So you just shift um, them out by one position. Nice. All right. Able, willing New Zealand rugby championship in World Cup year is shadow boxing. All blacks, all blacks usually don't win it in this cycle. Expect Foster to name a B team, Roy Gard, Stevenson, etc., to take on the Wallabies. Not out of disrespect, but to test this fringe players. I could see Melbourne being tight. Agree? Question mark. Yeah, I actually do agree. Um, in terms of, we're probably going to see a lot of changes in this All Blacks team because they do have a broader squad that they're going to want to see. Uh, Part of me wants to see every single moment of Will Jordan playing rugby that I possibly can, but I'd also be okay with him not being on the field against the Wallabies as well. Uh, So I also do think the Wallabies are going to improve. There There was an improvement between South Africa and Argentina for the Wallabies players. I think there will again be a step up between Argentina and New Zealand. I don't think it's going to be enough to win, against a quality New Zealand team. But who knows? Maybe if New Zealand are disrupted enough by multiple changes and we put forward our best 23 we possibly can, then then we might, well, sneak one in home against them. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's possible. Yep. I'm, I'm hoping that that happens. I think at this stage, mm. if New Zealand names their best 23, particularly that game in Melbourne, then we're going to see a 40 or 50 point score. And that's not going to do us any favors heading into the World Cup. If they name a B team in quotations um, and and do rest some players and put in some um, other inexperienced players, I think that's our only real shot at the moment, unfortunately. Moving on, we have got Cool Cat and he's asked, question for Rugby Australia administrators. Where is rugby heading? Where are your goals? Why has rugby not gotten an NRC comp? When will you try to grow the sport in the country? Ideally, when will all the states work together as one? Yeah, look, I don't know, mate. I don't bloody know. Um, I think I'm not paid enough. I'm, I'm still to waiting to that. <laughs> yeah, we don't get paid anything. Um, I am particularly wanting to see the Rugby Australia roadmap that has been spruced about for the last couple of months. Remember when we spoke to Julie Collins about women's rugby, and she yep. was talking about how the plans for women's rugby are going to be a part of that broader Rugby Australia strategy and pathway moving forward uh well we haven't seen that yet and it's nearly august so it should be appearing anytime soon but that is going to give us a better idea of the direction that rugby is heading over the next 10 years Mm -hmm. and i am hoping beyond hope that it is inspirational and addresses the problems that are facing the game i don't think it will but i hope it will yeah, we're waiting for that with bated breath. That actually was the last question we had for the locker room. So that brings us to the end of the podcast this week. 
Mate, and you it's know been what, an absolute Andrew? pleasure. You know what's exciting? You know what is exciting? Is that the Wallabies get a week off next week, so we can't lose. That <laughs> bloody hell, it's sad if that's what we're getting excited about, isn't it? Well, actually, an actual question, though, in terms of the planning for the rugby champs this year, who decided that it was a great idea to have South Africa play the Wallabies in South Africa and then a week later New Zealand play South Africa in New Zealand and Australia play Argentina at home? And then when there's a home game, essentially the following week, have a week off between? Why not have yeah. the week off after the travel? Like have this week off and then play next week and then go back to back. The Wallabies play in Sydney, then Melbourne. New Zealand, I, I think Argentina mm. and South Africa would have the travel leg, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that every team is traveling ridiculously in a week. Yep, good points. I'm sure there's a reason for it. I don't know what it is. And at this point of the night, I really don't care. Probably women's All I know Cup. is <laughs> it might be. It might be. Stadium availability. Um, maybe, maybe. But either way, I just want to say it's been a pleasure being here. And whilst you are good, I'm especially excited to have Lockie back next week as well because I want to hear about all his Oz A experiences going over and helping uh, cover the team with that trip over to Samoa. So incredibly, sorry, Tonga? Tonga? Um, Tonga. Very, very exciting. And, mate, it's, it's a good week because we get to now relax and just... Watch the fallout of the chat around this just continue to percolate. It's a lot of fun seeing all the drama come forward. And I think we've done a pretty good job of being frustrated, hopeful, and constructive all at the same time. So well done, mate. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing if the Wallabies can get their uh, their house in order for the All Blacks in a few weeks and seeing what 23 they do put up for that and if we can get some big names back, Tupo, Kellaway. Uh, what Eddie Jones does there because this is going to be our biggest test of the year to date. So Eddie Jones definitely has been planning up into this and I'm interested to see if he does have some back pocket joker card that he hasn't shown yet that's going to somehow turn the tide in our favor. Yep. Yep. Well, mate, it's been fun. Have a wonderful week and ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.